Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long Mason Rain podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So, oh my god, you guys would not believe how tired I am. I, like, just got off of work. Like, I basically just got home after lying down and, you know, contemplating life a little bit um, after I finished work. Oh my god. So, at my job, we're about to open up uh, the museum at my work because uh, with stage three, here in Ontario, or we're allowed to open cultural centers, and museums are cultural centers, so we're finally opening up the museum portion, and I've been doing landscaping. Now, if you know me in real life, uh, you know that I'm not built for exercising, like, at all. I should never exercise, it's just not something I should do. And landscaping and yard work is so hard. <laughs> I'm like I've I have muscles that hurt that I didn't even know were were muscles or could hurt. Like who knew ab muscles could hurt when you don't have abs? It's, <laughs> it's been an interesting uh, experience uh doing yard work. <laughs> I actually spent what was it? I think I spent like 2 days putting down like this flat these flat pieces of stone, I think they're called flagstones, in order to, like, make a path towards this, like, uh, special gravestone that we have at the museum that I work at. And flagstone is so heavy. (laughs) So basically what I'm getting at is that I should never do yard work, and none of you should ever do yard work, because it's not fun. Anyway, enough about me. Let's get on to the topic at hand. Today, we are discussing Ching Chi. Oh my god, guys, I'm so excited. I have been in love with this woman for so long. Ever since I found out about her, she is the motherfucking coolest pirate ever. She is so cool. She's got to be one of my favorite pirates ever, especially in the, like, female way um i've obviously done a lot of different uh pirates on this show i did Anne bonnie i've done grace o'malley but ching chi she's a whole nother different breed she's so much cooler than either of those two women combined because she was a woman and she was a pirate and she was a woman of color and a pirate all at the same time so like awesome (laughs) i'm so excited let's get into it Okay, uh, before we start, I'd like to preface, there are going to be a lot of Chinese words in this episode. I have practiced them, but that does not mean I'm going to say them right, because I have a lot of trouble speaking. So, uh, just to uh, preface that, because I'm definitely going to mess it up. So, Qing Shi was born as Shi Yang sometime in 1775 in Gyeodong Province on the South China Sea to unknown parents. Now, we don't know much about her early life for sure because she was basically born dirt poor, so poor that we don't even know who her parents were. So I thought we could instead discuss her home province in China and what it was like about the time she was born. 
Now, since she was born in the latter half of the 1700s and a lot of stuff was going on in the world with tons of European powers at like the apex of their powers, thanks to, you know, colonies abroad. One of the biggest trading centers in the world at that time was China. So any coastal cities in China were like huge trading ports and trading markets. And the city Qingxi grew up in was no different. It was a bustling trading center with ships from like all over the world coming in to trade for Chinese goods to bring back home. So Qingxi would have been exposed to like tons of different cultures like very early on and languages as a young girl. She would have known... She also would have known about piracy from a young age, considering when you have a country that's the trading center of the world, people are always going to want to take advantage of that. Um, so it would not have been uncommon for her as a little girl to have like come across a pirate or two at her home city, which would clearly uh, inspire her later on. She was like, Mommy, I want to do that. And then her mom was like, no. Um, now... I'm just going to warn you guys, like, right off the bat, her early life was not happy. It's, like, mildly depressing. So, buckle up, because it's time to talk about child prostitution. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, so, for context, uh, Qingxi's people were this ethnic group called boat people, technically. They literally lived on boats off the coast and on the rivers. Now, some people thought they were outcasts for the most part. Some people even called them, like, sea gypsies and basically considered them, like, a whole other ethnic group from Chinese people. And I, I actually believe they still are considered, like, a completely different ethnic group today. And they aren't really regarded as Chinese, which is just dumb and, like, racist and like i don't know if anti-semitic applies here but it's just like it's definitely discrimination now because of this heavy dim, dim <laughs> discrimination i could not why could i not anyway <laughs> um Qingxi's people were often poor and had to do stuff to survive, like fishing, running a small store out of their boat. And for young girls, they were generally sent to brothels to make their family money. And Qing would have been sent out there to start making money, like, the minute she could have sex. So, like, puberty. So, probably about 12 or 13, because, you know, men back then and still are today were like, wow, that... 12-year-old is hot. I guess I'm going to sleep with her for money. Ew. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, she would have worked at a floating brothel, which was a very popular place for incoming sailors because it was actually believed that the boat's rocking actually enhanced your overall experience, like with whatever woman you were sleeping with, which is gross, especially with all the child sex workers uh, there. Ew, but that's what they thought. Um, over the years at this brothel, Ching gained a pretty prestigious reputation. And people just, like, kept coming into this brothel and asking about this young lady who was apparently stunning and graceful and gave such good hospitality to all the men she was sleeping with. And she ended up being the most popular prostitute there. <laughs> like... Giving me kind of Pretty Woman vibes. Actually, you know what? Recently, I actually did watch Pretty Woman. It's a good movie. Sorry. Sidetracked. Um, 
and because of her great hospitality and everyone loving her so much, she started getting some pretty high-end customers like noblemen from the emperor's court, and important generals, and incredibly wealthy merchants, and many, many more kinds of people. Basically, everyone who was coming into the place was requesting her specifically, which was good for her. Because it meant money, 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 money. Now, obviously, because of her growing up as a prostitute, she didn't get a formal education. Uh, but that does not mean she wasn't competent, because she totally was. Bitch was smart. Some of these early stories that I'm about to tell you are considered myths, but I think they're cool, so I'm going to talk about them. Now, apparently, right when she started working there, you could tell she was a businesswoman. She exerted a lot of control over the men she slept with, and she often got them to tell her really, really important information that they likely would never have told anyone if she didn't convince them to do it. She was also pretty good with money, so maybe she probably knew some basic math. She might have been able to read. Not that I can confirm that and doesn't seem like she was able to, but she might have been able to. Um... Alright, now, before we move, move on, let's talk about what she looked like. Now, she is often depicted as being very, very pretty, which is one of the reasons she got so many customers at that brothel. And while there is, like, no 100% confirmed portrait of her, there is this drawing that I've used for, like, the cover art of this episode. That looks, like, really lifelike. Like, I, I thought it was a photo at first, but it's, like, an etching or, like, some sort of drawing. She looks really good in it. I, I, I'd agree that she's very, very pretty. And she's got this nice straight black hair, pale skin. She's got these really nice high cheekbones. It kind of reminds me of, um, oh no, <laughs> her name, um, Sarah, she was Queen Victoria's goddaughter. I literally did an episode on her. What the freaking frack is wrong with me? <laughs> um, yeah, her, y'all remember her, right? <laughs> You guys know what I mean. Anyway, she she reminds me a lot of her with the, like, high cheekbones and such. So, she was very much the beauty standard in China at the time. She looked exactly like what you'd want, which was good for her because it meant business. It meant money. So, woo. Okay, so, good news. I just remembered who I was talking about when I was comparing Ching Shi's cheekbones. It's Sarah Forbes Bonetta. I, I don't know how I forgot that. I get, I just, guys, I just got off work. My brain is like fried. I just want to take a nap, but like, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do for the podcast. And I'm here doing it. Anyway, um, so in 1801, Ching Shi was about 26 years old. She was doing pretty well for her, herself. She was basically running the floating brothel at this point. She was basically a madame and was also the equivalent of a spy master because she was getting all these men to tell her their deepest, darkest secrets. Life was pretty great, but it was about to get a little bit better. Now, there are tons of stories on how she met her first husband but here how they believe how is how historians believe it generally went down now ching was apparently walking around the port of her home city as she did and this powerful pirate named zheng yi saw her and he was instantly in love and he decided he needed to find her 
So the first story is that he asked around and found out which brothel she worked at and went straight up to her and asked her to marry him, like, right on the spot, which is, like, the nice and romantic version of how they got together. And... The other version is not that. Um, the second version is that he saw her in the street, fell in love with her, found out the brothel she worked at, and then made his pirate crew raid said brothel and bring her to him. So his crew apparently did that and brought her to him, and he demanded that she marry him. And, well, she did. Um, now, I'm personally really hoping that it was the first version because it's, like, a lot more romantic like i guess it's a little stale but like it's better than him kidnapping her and forcing her to marry him like him being like whipped head over heels for her and just like actually asking for her consent for marriage is like a lot nicer than the other option so let's just hope it was like consensual because like she's there's not a lot of things that she's gotten consent on in her life at this point um However they got together, they did eventually marry, but not before Shing struck a deal with him. She asked that if they got married, she would get an equal share of whatever money they made from raids and that she would get partial control of the pirate fleet. And because this guy was, like, listening to his dick instead of his head, um, he agreed to her terms, like, fully, and they got married basically right after that. Uh, now, before we move on, let's get to know our girl's new hubby. So, Zheng Yi was also from the same province that Qing grew up in. Uh, he was a local who was born in 1765, so he was about a decade older, which isn't too bad, considering she'd probably slept with tons of men decades older than her, so she was used to it. Uh, Zheng Yi's family had been, like, pirates for generations, like, it was the family business. His dad had been one, and so was his brother, and... Uh, he had spent his whole life being a pirate up until this point. He spent his early career as a privateer fighting against China in uh, Vietnam. And by the way, privateering is... Um, it was basically legal piracy. Like, basically, a government would, like, have you steal stuff from other countries' boats. But it wasn't considered piracy because the government was doing it. Huh. Um... <laughs> Now, even though he was employed by the government, uh, that didn't make him a good guy by any means. After all, he was still a pirate at heart. Um, in 1798, he actually ended up kidnapping a 15-year-old boy named Chuang Po, who was actually one of the same ethnic uh, boat people, just like our girl Ching Shi. And basically, this kid was forced into piracy, but thanks to having been a boat person and living on the water his whole life, he ended up being a really, really good pirate. And uh, keep this kid in mind, because this random kidnapped kid is... He's going to be important later. Just give it a minute. Now, right off the bat, our girl Ching would have realized her marriage was the best decision she had ever made because she was now the pirate queen of the Red Flag Fleet. And her husband's name commanded respect pretty much everywhere they went. And she owned half of this awesome fleet. Which, right after their marriage, started to grow in numbers like gangbusters. When they got married, her husband had about 200 ships, which was not much. But over the next few years, they went from 200 to 600 ships. 
that's a lot of ships. And because of their growing numbers, they were able to raid places like gangbusters. And they were becoming rich, 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 rich. They were dripping in jewels, Alaguanza. They had so much jewels, they didn't even know what to do with the jewels. Now, since Ching was a staunch businesswoman, she took care of order and money on the Red Flag fleet. That was her job, and she was good at it. She implemented tons of new reforms like pirates who gave unauthorized orders or those who refused to follow orders were executed on the spot without a chance to justify themselves all seized goods had to be presented for inspection if any pirate was found hiding or under reporting goods a part of their body was chopped off depending on the scale of that crime which i think is a pretty okay way to stop thieving um because, you know, after all, they're all pirates. They would definitely steal from each other. Um, some other rules included that loyalty and honesty were greatly appreciated. And worthy pirates were rewarded generously, thereby setting an example for the others. So, yay, honesty. We love that. Um, female captives needed to be treated respectfully. That was a huge rule with her. Uh, they were segregated based on their looks. Uh, the weak and the pregnant and unattractive ones were freed as soon as possible, so I guess it was good to be uh, weak, pregnant, or unattractive with Ching Chi because she'd just let you go instead of killing you or keeping you, which could go either well or uh, bad depending on <laughs> which one was chosen. Now, the attractive women captives were held back for ransom. The pirates were actually given the freedom to marry these attractive women under mutual consent, though. Also, infidelity and rape were treated as serious offenses. Like, Ching Shi did not budge on this shit. She was like, you cheat on your wife, you rape your wife, or you rape any other woman, I'm gonna fucking hang you. She would not- she was ready. She was not gonna hesitate. Now, in- in the case of consensual premarital sex, both the offenders would be executed if they couldn't justify that shit. Now, in some instances in that case, the man was castrated and the woman was banished from the fleet. So basically, if you wanted to sleep with a girl, you had to marry her. You had no choice. Ching Chi wasn't dealing with no premarital sex, kids. Leave space for Jesus. <laughs> Anyway, um, now, all, all of these rules sound pretty great since women generally weren't treated too well in the realm of piracy. It's pretty nice that Xing was using all the power and influence that she had to help women who were involved in piracy and women who were kidnapped by piracy. Now, other than all these reforms, she also basically balanced her husband's pirate checkbook and made sure they were making tons of money instead of losing money which is what they had been doing up until that point she was like straight hustling for the pirate fleet and yet her husband was in charge which is stupid i mean he was pretty competent but still um they were they were kind of like a little bit of a power couple so i'll allow it now speaking of marriage um well ching Shi's marriage seems like it was pretty happy for the most part uh the they did have struggles, you know, as all couples do, and one of these was making a little pirate baby to one day uh, take over their awesome pirate fleet. Now, they did have two sons, but they died in infancy. Um, after a few years, they were genu genuinely worried about the future of the Red Flag fleet, so they decided they would 
adopt someone as their legal heir rather than trying to have any more kids because clearly it wasn't working out for them. So they ended up adopting Chuang Po, who at this point was not the 15-year-old boy he had been when he was kidnapped, and he was now like in his mid-20s and was very well respected. And when he was adopted and made the heir, some of the other pirates were like kind of confused because they didn't understand why they were just like straight up adopting like a full-grown man, let alone someone who was you know, not super powerful in the fleet, even though he was, like, clearly good at his job and, like, well-respected. He wasn't that, he didn't wield much influence. And we will get into why he might have been chosen by the couple, but first, we've got to talk about the crazy way Ching Shi's husband might have died and how she became the boss bitch of the Red Flag Fleet. Okay, so let me set the scene. So it's about 1807. Ching and her husband have been married for about six years, so she's about 30 now. Um, Everything was going great until it wasn't. Um, Because one day, um, Ching Shi's husband died after a storm off the coast of Vietnam. And the story goes that he either fell overboard by accident, which, you know, happens in a storm in the 1800s, or that Ching pushed him overboard herself. Whatever happened, either way, our girl was now a widow at the age of about 30, or actually, I think she might have been 32. Yeah, yeah, 32 makes more sense. And it's here when her husband dies, either she murdered him, or he fell over in a uh, monsoon, Um. During her widowhood, she gets the name Ching Shi because it literally translates to Ching's widow, Jing's widow in English. Even though she had the title of Ching's widow, she was literally about to eclipse her husband's success tenfold. So, like, yeah. But first thing she needed to do was get power. Now, after her husband died, it would have been all too easy for her to have, like, retired with, like, a nice little pirate pension, maybe go back home, run her own brothel. She could have done that. Could have been great. But she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to go back to the life of prostitution. She loved the freedom she had as a pirate, and she was not just going to let it go and give the power to her adopted son. And luckily for her, consolidating power was not as complicated as she might have thought it was going to be. Now, while there were other captains in the fleet that tried to take control away from her adopted son, she beat them all back with a motherfucking stick and got all the factions loyal to her and her deceased husband to support her in her quest to become leader of the Red Flag Fleet. And when she won, she rounded up traitors and executed them as an example to the other pirates that if you fucked with her, she would kill you. No mercy, which totally worked, by the way, since she had very little issues with uprisings. Like, people were not going to uprise against this bitch. Now, I bet you're wondering, what'd she do with her adopted son, since isn't he supposed to be in charge now that her husband is dead? Well, don't worry. She didn't kill him. Uh, He was actually a huge help in helping her grab power, and he was completely supportive of it. And for his loyalty, two weeks after Ching's husband died, um... She married her adopted son. <laughs> I wish I could make this up, guys, but I, I can't. She married her adopted son two weeks after her husband died, or she might have murdered him, which, you know, even though her and 
her adopted son obviously aren't blood related any in any way. It definitely feels inappropriate. <laughs> now, believe it or not, some people think that their relationship had been going on for years at this point and that she had been hitting it for a while. And apparently her husband was also in a relationship with this kid, which is what apparently led to their decision to name him Air in the first place, which is also pretty gross if they were like in a weird thruple parent-child the point is she married him um but even though she was married to Chuang Po this pirate couple was different than her first marriage because she held infinitely more power than she did last time because her husband this new one he was fucking whipped he loved her and he was gonna let her do whatever the fuck she wanted which you know good for him um her husband was a bit more of a figurehead on this round than a real pirate king like her last husband was. Basically, he was there so all the other pirate captains didn't have, like, a fucking meltdown that someone with a vagina was running the whole show, so. Ugh. But to be honest, it, it didn't matter what they thought because Ching was about to become the queen of the South China Sea. Now, after Ching took over, the Red Flag fleet became incredibly active. Like, they were just like, bam, 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 bam. And they were about ten times more powerful than they had been under Ching's last husband's leadership. They raided villages, they took over whole towns, as well as bullying the shit out of European trading ships like the British and the Portuguese, who were kind of being fucking jerks in China anyway. So, like, good for them. Basically, not a single ship in the South China Sea moved without their permission. And if they did, that ship would be raided faster than the then these guys could say, oh, fuck, pirates. <laughs> Not to mention, they had a huge network all over China with tons of coastal villages. They took over feeding and supplying them. And if you wanted to sail in their territory, you had to pay to do it. No fucking exceptions. They were the top dogs in the South China Sea. And now, and at this point, they had 80,000 ships. <sighs> wow. I mean, that's impressive considering they used to only have 600, which was quite a lot of ships in the first place, but 80,000 by the end. Jesus Christ! Now, while all this success in power was great for Qingxi and her crew, there were several people who were kind of pissed off at her, namely the Emperor of China, uh, who could not believe that a woman was ruling the South China Sea. So he decided... You know, fuck, I better do something about this. So, he sent his navy to confront the confront the Red Flag fleet and put an end to Ching Shi's rule. But if the Emperor thought this shit was going to be an easy win, oh, motherfucker was sadly mistaken. A, a few hours into the battle with the fleet he sent, it was apparent the Emperor's army was going to lose. So, Ching said that if they surrendered, they could join the Red Flag fleet. Which a lot of the Emperor's men did. And just like that, the Emperor lost a huge chunk of his navy. Because they decided they'd rather be pirates <laughs> than work for him. So it was back to the old drawing board for the Emperor. Now over the next few years from 1807 to 1809, Cheng Shi made tons of enemies other than the Chinese. Which would lead to her eventual retirement. Like when she defeated the Portuguese navy. 
a lot, which massively pissed them off because they made a lot of money via their colonies in the East. Like in India, like I talked about with Jodha, they had a lot of colony cities there and they had a lot in uh, China. I believe, um, oh, what is it? It starts with an M. Macau. I believe Macau was a Portuguese uh, city in China. Anyway, um, she was costing them big time because she was, like, raiding the shit out of their ships and, like, just, like, converting their navy. It was really pissing them off. And they would not forget what she had done the next time they came for her, which is what eventually led to this thing called the blockade of Tung Chung Bay, which almost, almost derailed Ching's whole damn career. Okay, so in late 1809, the Emperor of China decided he wanted to take another swing at Qing. Oh my god, that actually rhymes. Swing at Qing. <laughs> That's funny, I didn't even realize that when I wrote that. Anyway, so the Emperor of China wanted to take another swing at Qing. And uh, to do that, he decided to uh, call up his besties, the Portuguese, to help him do it. So both Qing Shi and her husband at this time, had ended up at Tongsheng Bay for repairs since they heard the Portuguese weren't there, so they went there to get their ships fixed. But it turned out to be a trap. As Admiral Akbar once said, it's a trap! And six Portuguese ships arrived at the port and blocked them in, with 93 more ships from the Emperor's fleet coming right behind the Portuguese ships to join them and completely blocking Qingxi and her husband from leaving. And this realistically, could have been the end of Ching Shi's career. But she was crafty, and she was motherfucking intelligent, and she was not gonna go down without a fucking fight. Now, at first, I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't going well for her, since uh, due to wind, she and her pirates couldn't break the blockade, even if they had wanted to. So, they went back to the old pirate drawing board, and after ten days of just sitting there, they were able to capture one of the Chinese ships and killed pretty much everyone on board, which kind of put the pirates and the Chinese and the Portuguese at a standstill until one of the Chinese commanders, after, like, this ten days, was so upset with the lack of progress. He was like, why can't we just go get her? killer now. So, he decided to do this dumbass move where he sacrificed 43 of his own ships to turn into fire ships and, like, push them towards Ching Shi's ships, trying to set them on fire, which failed because her pirates put most of the fire ships out and broke them up for firewood for her men so that they could, like, roast meat and shit. And... <laughs> It just failed completely. And later, a few of the ships her pirates hadn't put out actually ended up catching the commander's other ships on fire because of an unfortunate wind change for the Chinese. And thanks to the wind change, Ching and her husband broke uh, this blockade and they fucking escaped <laughs> into the sunset, <laughs> having lost no ships. And they only lost... 40 guys during this blockade. Meanwhile, the combined Chinese and Portuguese forces had sacrificed 43 ships and lost three other ships to the pirates, and nearly 80 of their men were killed, which was pretty motherfucking embarrassing for them. 
Now, a year later, the tides ended up turning for Chang after this awesome escape from Tungcheng Bay. Uh, when the Portuguese and Chinese decided to go for round three, <laughs> because they came back and they were better than ever, with better ships and better weapons this time, and she wasn't so sure about making another miraculous victory. Um, her hubby's attempts to negotiate with the Chinese weren't working, even though they had offered them being cleared of any piracy charges. They weren't offering them much more than you get to leave. So, in order to break the stalemate, she herself led a delegation of her, some women and children from her pirate fleet, to the Chinese commander, Bai Ling, to lead the negotiations herself, since clearly her husband couldn't do it. And she carved out a pretty sweet fucking deal for herself. She and her husband were allowed to keep all their loot as long as they surrendered their fleet and kneeled to this commander, Bai Ling, and to the Emperor of China, which is cool. The commander even offered to personally witness Qing's marriage to her second husband to make it more legal, even though at this point they had been married for four years and it was, like, 100% legal, but maybe not in the Chinese government's eyes, so they they had a little marriage ceremony. Um, in front of the, uh, general, and they accepted the terms. Retirement on. Pirate retirement. Now, when they retired, Ching Chi's husband, he was actually offered a position in the Chinese Navy, which he graciously accepted, and Ching Chi would follow him around during his naval career, at which point she and her hubby had their first baby! Yay! Uh, they named him Chuang uh, Yu Lin, which they just named him after... The husband, which is, I guess, not really that creative. Um, I have to mention that she was also, like, 38 when her son was born, which is, you know, a little old to have your first kid. And considering uh, she had had trouble, like, when she was younger having children, I, I mean, it's pretty awesome that she was able to have a healthy child when she was 38. And back then, she would have been, like, considered ancient at 38. So, it's awesome. And I... Holy shit, a few years later, she had another baby. She was like, she would have been 40 when she had her second baby, which was a girl. And unfortunately, her name and whereabouts have been lost to history, but we do know for a fact that she did have a baby girl after her son, which it really sucks because she probably, I bet she was so cool. I bet she loved her mom. I, she probably would have been a cool bitch. Maybe, maybe she, I wonder if she like maybe died young and just like no one. Recorded. It sucks. The point is, she had two kids after she retired. She was very happy. Um, in 1822, her second husband unfortunately passed away. He died at sea. Uh, of course, he did. And at this point, uh, Ching, she packed up her kids and moved to Portuguese-controlled Macau. Ah, see, Macau. I was right. Uh, which was actually pretty close to where she grew up. Uh, she opened her own gambling house, as well as getting involved in the salt trade, which was pretty lucrative. You could make tons of motherfucking money on salt back then. And she stayed in Macau for 20 years until she died in 1844 at the age of 60 motherfucking nine. Oh my god! What a life this woman fucking lived. Like, prostitute, pirate, retired pirate. What a progression, guys. What a progression. Okay, let's get into legacy. Now, while she's not as well-known as she should be due to her being, you know, a woman and a woman of color at that, she was arguably 
10 times more successful than some of history's most favorite pirates, like Blackbeard, who, while arguably a scary dude, didn't achieve half the shit that Ching Shi did. And in comparison, Ching Shi got to retire to a happy life with her two kids and a husband, not to mention all her fucking money. Meanwhile, pirates like Blackbeard died in a bloody defeat with no glory to go with it. And that is why she is now officially my favorite pirate. I love her so much. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm actually really excited for uh, the next episode in two weeks. So stay tuned for that. Bye, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMaceyRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you guys could do that. All right. uh, Bye.